0: founder of Digital Yoga Academy and I'm sharing business and marketing strategies to grow your community in a way that makes it easy to take action today. I believe that you have a unique message to share that your people need to hear. So let's get to it. So welcome everyone. I'm super excited today to have with me Diane Bondi, Diane, who I'm sure you all know, is a social justice activist. She's the author of the international best selling book, Yoga for Everyone, and she's the leader of the Yoga for All movement. Welcome Diane. Thank you so much for being here with
1: me today. Thank you for having me. It's really lovely to be here. It's early for me. I'm glad I'm awake and ready to go. (laughs) Good start to my day.
2: Thank you so much. So as you know, we're talking about the online space uh, Mm. and why this is important for yoga teachers in terms of being able to share their message with more people. And so Mm. I'd love to hear about your experiences over the years and going from just teaching in person to being Mm -hmm. able
1: to share your message with more people online what's that journey looked like for you it was uh accidental and I have to say I kind of stepped into it ass backwards so when I first started like teaching in studio spaces that's what I thought yoga what Like, like that's the only place I thought I could teach community centers the gym Uh, yoga studio spaces and for me non-conventional spaces was really interesting to me so I'd spent a lot of time teaching in you know church halls in parks anywhere that felt a little bit more accessible for folks right where they felt like maybe a little less intimidated coming into a studio space so let's be honest it's intimidating going to the gym It's intimidating going to a yoga studio, right? Like you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You don't know what's going on. You might not know the culture of the studio. Um, And I just wanted to find non-conventional spaces where people felt comfortable. So, you know, speaking to my local library and offering classes there, uh, offering classes if people lived in apartment complexes and had like community spaces, just so people felt really comfortable, like they weren't stepping into a space that they were unfamiliar with. Uh, When I opened my yoga studio, back in 2005. uh, At the time, I had a lot of my friends coming to practice and most people were starting to have children. And so I would be running classes in my studio space and they couldn't make it because it was either nap time or dinner time or after school or all those kinds of things. So I spoke to my husband and I said, is there a way that I could just like audio record my classes as I'm teaching them and then maybe put them up either on our website or on iTunes uh, I don't know if Spotify was as popular as it is now at the time but try to put it up somewhere where my students could access it or just send the mp3 out on the email or list so that people who couldn't make it into the classroom space could still get their practice and that was a request from one of my students who had recently had a baby it could certainly so way you could like record it even if you audio record it. Um, And that way I could get that, uh, that, you know, get my practice in. And then my husband said, well, let's do one better. Let's just mount a camera in the studio, and then record the class and anybody who was a part of the studio could get that class as a replay later. So if you were trying to beat it to 530 yoga, and you just didn't make it, you could get the replay on the recording. And this was back in, uh, we started doing this, I want to say, uh, in 2010 or so, we started like recording classes and offering it actually earlier than that, 2007, and started recording that and just offering it to the members of the studio. So if you bought a one-year membership, you would get the, the playback or six months or one year, you get access to uh, the yoga studio online, Eastside Yoga Online, and that way you could just take the recorded classes and that was really fun and um we just kept building it out and so it started to stem from just recording the classes that i was teaching to setting up time when the yoga studio wasn't busy and recording like very specific series so i would record a do a pre-recorded series on um like you know if you had back pain or shoulder pain or if you were working on balance or if you were curious about inversions so i started putting together these little mini workshopy kind of things that i could just record and put up uh, on the website and once again it was accessible to people who were you know in the studio space, and then my husband, who uh, was dabbling in IT at the time, said to me, "Why don't we open a membership website? And that way, people who were maybe not in town or not part of the studio wanted to take a class with you could." And at that time, my social media presence was starting to build, and people were like, you know, I was offering little snippets on you know YouTube, not YouTube, Facebook at the time because there wasn't any Instagram and there wasn't TikTok and there wasn't Snapchat and there wasn't all these other things. Right. So there was just Facebook and Twitter. And so what I started doing is doing like little one minute shorts. I call them movement snacks. And I would just say, hey, you know, if you've only got a minute to practice, here's a little movement snack. And then when Facebook Live became a thing, I said, hey, do you want to take some classes with me live? And then if you like practicing with me live and you want to book a private, I could teach a private over Skype and Skype was a thing before zoom for those of you never heard of Skype. And so I would do these classes like over Skype and then it just kind of built and grew from there. It, It came to my attention that Lots of people wanted to get to the studio space, wanted to have a yoga practice, and either A, couldn't make it just because of timing, B, didn't have the funds because it's expensive, right? Um, C, wanted to practice whenever they could, like fit it into their day when they could, and didn't necessarily have time for a 90-minute class or a 75-minute class or a 60 minute class. So I could give people these movement snacks. And as a, as a trained onasara teacher at the time, we used to have a practice called the gift of 20 minutes, or the gift of 10 minutes, or the gift of 15 minutes, just get on your mat, right? It's not all or nothing. It was just all or something, just like do something, do anything, meditate, walk, just, you know, movement is therapeutic, you know, motion lubricates the body. So let's, Let's get people moving and let's get people in a headspace that makes them feel, you know, more free or more grounded or more connected. So I just started thinking about offering those movement stacks on uh facebook and before i knew it i'm like oh let's put this on youtube so it was kind of like as these new platforms were kind of coming into my consciousness i was like oh another opportunity to share this idea that wasn't popular at the time like these movement snacks were not popular at the time there was a lot of teachers out there in the uh yoga sphere saying things like you know if you're not dedicating 75 minutes of uh, to your practice and you're not actually practicing which we can all clearly know is Bullshit. Um, and I thought it was a really privileged thing for someone to say because not all of us have 75 minutes. People have jobs, people have children, people have family members they're looking after. God, wouldn't it be lovely to have 75 minutes to practice yoga or have the funds to go to a studio and take a 75 minute class with your favorite teacher. That's just not always accessible and equitable for folks. But what I did find is that most folks had access to the internet in some way or the other whether it was through a library connection or, you know, and that they could either like download the class to watch later or take the class at the park. And I just thought it was a really good idea to have this online. And as I started writing blogs and being out there in the, you know, in the interwebs, people were like, oh, I wish I could take a class with you. And I thought why don't we make this platform public? So I had to have everybody in the studio sign a waiver because I was about to put this online for anybody to watch. And so we created a, in 2011, we created an online studio that was called Yogastea at the time. The idea was that you would steal a little bit of time for yourself or, you know, you'd, you know that kind of thing to do some asana. And then it became uh, yoga for everyone with the advent of the book. So that's kind of my evolution into the online space
2: it's amazing it's all the building blocks that just came from that one comment from one of your students who couldn't make that class you know yeah it's it's incredible how you've just embraced each platform that's come along and you know, I think some teachers might be listening to this and thinking, "Well, you were you were there right at the beginning. Like you were yeah. you were there when it was all happening, and now it's oversaturated. It's and everywhere. Yeah, going to be able sure. to break through
1: the noise now.
2: Like, what advice do you give to those teachers who are thinking
1: that?" You know what? I think we get this idea that we have to have really large platforms on social media or that we have to be a super seasoned teacher, or that we have to have a lot of special equipment to be able to record these classes. And none of these things are true. I think it's really important to start with the, you know, with the community that you have now. So if you're teaching in a community space on Zoom, or if you're back in the studio space, as we start to figure out how we're going to manage covid as as this thing that isn't going away let's just be honest (laughs) this is just something we're gonna have to learn to live with and you know just like the flu and everything else we're gonna have to take precautions but i would say to people start with your small community space i never it was never my intention to have these big platforms it just it it just the opportunity presented itself, and I was open to the opportunity. When I first started teaching online, a lot of teachers in my community looked down their nose at me and was like, oh, teaching online, <clears throat> you know, what are we doing to the yoga practice? I'm thinking, we're making it more accessible to more folks. And then when we, you know, came upon this pandemic and everybody went into shelter and sheltering in place and lockdown, all of a sudden these people who were, you know, criticizing me for being online were now asking me how to get online. So um, don't be afraid of putting yourself out there, number one. And you don't need really expensive equipment. You need a good ring light, uh, some good lighting, which you can get for less than $200, and a smartphone that has a good camera. And any smartphone that's been made in the last three or four years is good enough, right? That'll give you a good enough camera and really good sound. So make sure that you're really good sound. And start with your community. Like whoever you're teaching to now Invite them to start adding online classes to their platform and inviting their friends. And even if you have the tiniest of platforms on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, TikTok or wherever you are in the social media platform start sharing like 1 minute or 30 second snippets around people that can be functional movement for everyday life sitting at your desk all day let's do an upper body um asana practice that can help relieve the stress in your neck you know are you having a hard time finding balance let's do this 2 minute practice because we know on tiktok you've only got 3 minutes and i think on um you know, stories, you've only got a minute or whatever. So think about how you can condense little bits of information that people can pull away in a minute and start building your platform that way. What you want to do if you're interested in expanding your platform and serving as many students as possible is you have to think of some of the common, not so much problems, but, you know, situations that people are having. And if you have tips to help people manage their life better, be more connected to themselves, be More connected to their family, find themselves, you know, be connected to the world. If you've got tips for that, if you can make bite sized snacks, as I call them, for people to connect, that's one way to kind of build out your audience. Um, As we know, if you're an entrepreneur, the way that you make money in a business is you have to have something to sell. Okay. Selling something is not a bad thing. This is how the world works. And so what you are doing is giving people an opportunity to do something affordable that is good for them. And if you keep rolling with that and sharing with that and sharing with other creators that are doing things that are similar to you, talking to other creators that you're interested in the work they're doing, maybe doing interviews, or if you have a podcast or doing a, you know, an Instagram live or doing a duet on um, TikTok, that can also start getting people, you know, interested in your content and expanding out your audience. I think one of the greatest things that I did was reach out to my teachers who I love and, you know, people who really inspired me online and just ask them, would you be willing to talk to me on my podcast? Would you be willing to do a 15 minute live with me? I'd really like to talk to you. And that way you're exposing yourself to their audience And they're also, you know, if they're interested in building community like I am, they're always interested in giving uh, somebody an opportunity to to share what they love. And that's kind of how I use my platform.
2: Yeah, that's such incredible advice. Like teachers should be doing more of that, collaborating with people in their space, in their niche. And actually, this kind of flows into what I was going to ask you next. And you know, you're really known for educating teachers around the world to make their classes more welcoming and accessible. And I think for teachers to become really, like, known for something, it's because Mm. they've refined their messaging and they've got super specific on who they're serving and the content that they're sharing. And We hear the phrase, find your niche a lot, and a a lot of teachers resist this because they want to serve everyone. What thoughts and advice for teachers who are going through that process of really defining who it is that they're serving?
1: You know what I found really interesting, and when I was figuring out who it is that was really interested in my work, was reading my comments and asking questions. So I like to use uh, social media as, you know, like I to to source stuff to like crowdsource stuff you know I would put things up on my social media like I love it when my teacher does and I'd ask people to fill in the blank or you know when you take a yoga class with me you know and I would ask the people that I teach on the regular and I would put this up on social media uh when you take a yoga class with me what is it that you love about the class, right? And then watching who's repeatedly coming back to your classes. It was easy for me to find my niche because I'm Black and I'm in a plus-size body and I wasn't seeing that anywhere anywhere so when I first started out in this business um, over 30 years ago it we weren't seeing the diversity that we have seen exploded in the past five years to be honest it hasn't been much longer than the past five years and so when I saw that I thought there's got to be other black folks out there that want to do yoga there's got to be other BIPOC black indigenous people of color who want to be doing yoga and what are other marginalized identities or historically excluded identities that I am also not seeing in the space so I'm also not seeing people practicing with disabilities in the space I'm also not seeing a lot of people in in older bodies in the space Um, not that you can tell by looking at somebody but I was thinking that the LGBTQIA community was not having adequate representation in the space and so what are the all those those Populations have in common—they've been historically excluded from the mainstream. And I thought to myself, that's the bridge that links us all together. So that's what this is—who I wanted to serve, because other populations were overserved. You know, you can go into any yoga studio in the world and see a teacher. If you're in, if you're in a white body, if you're in an able body, if you're in a body that's physically able to do a lot of different kinds of things, it's not hard to find somebody who looks like you teaching a class in your neighborhood or in your space. But if you don't fall into those parameters and you don't feel comfortable, you know, integrating in those parameters, where do you go to practice yoga? And so I wanted to really create that space. So if you're interested in helping people with functional, you know, if your passion is functional movement and you want to work with people about how do I take the asana practice of functional movement into the world? If that's your passion, then that's your niche. Do you know what I mean? So you put, you put that out there. If you're more interested in yin and more restorative practices, then you figure out how that speaks to you, how that speaks to your current audience. And then that becomes your niche. I think if we think that we can serve everyone is when we get into, I think, the overwhelm of it all. Um, There are lots of different kinds of yoga teachers now in the world for that very reason that everybody has somebody that they can identify with, or that population is being served. Um, What I think people run into problems with is that they feel a call to serve everybody. And then that starts to look Performative, right? Like, oh, you know, I think it's a good idea to serve this community. I'm not really into it, but I think I should do it because of you fill in the blank. Instead of being part of that community and understanding where that community comes from and filling that need for that community, you look at it as an opportunity for, you know, clout chasing or you look at it as an opportunity to build your following as opposed to serving that community to the best of your ability. And that's where your community grows, that your intention is pure in that sense. And that it's not just because you, like I said, are clout chasing or uh, you're looking to become famous. That can't be why you're doing the things that you're doing. And I think that's what happens when people don't have success, because people can see that right away. People can see through that right away, that you're not in it for them, that you're in it for yourself
2: hmm totally well it's not you're not coming from you know an authentic place but when you're coming from your passion and being led by your purpose then you can really start you speak in a different way right you You do audience in a different way and quite often you know nine times out of ten actually you were in that place where you're your ideal student is you were in that place many years ago you know in that place where they are now and you can support them by really sharing how yoga has helped you with your journey so you can really speak from the heart when you're coming from that place yes Um, so last year (laughs) many yoga teachers were forced online and we saw an influx (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Zoom schedules. Being oh, early. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. What advice do you have for those teachers who are now feeling this Zoom fatigue or they're mixing uh, yeah. that they experience with their students in person? Like, what do you think they need to do to sustain their classes now?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I feel Zoom fatigue and I've watched classes go from being very large to very small because students are like over this Zoom fatigue. I, you know, I think now that places are starting to open up again, for me, it's about doing um, teaching in both places because there's still going to be people not quite comfortable enough to be in a public space. You know, people with compromised immune systems or people who are just worried or people who have children at home who can't be vaccinated and and things like that. So what I've done because I have been fatigued from Zoom is I've gone back into the studio spaces or I've created very small Um, private classes in spaces where I feel comfortable. You know, I have requirements, I believe in science, I believe in vaccination, I believe in uh, in science based and evidence based things. So I've invited people who are in my community to book like small pods of yoga. So I might teach three or four people socially distanced, in a public space so that I can get back into that connection. And then I counter that as well with what I'm teaching online. So I still teach maybe one or two classes online and then one or two classes in in person because there's something really powerful about being in person with folks. And I also find it makes me a better teacher when I can actually look at bodies in motion and offer, you know, um, more clarity perhaps on what people are doing because often you you're all excited to connect with your zoom audience and you jump online and everybody's got their camera off and you don't and their sound off and you don't even know if they're actually there or if they're, it's just kind of playing in the background or whatever so there's not a lot of interaction or start switching up your classes a little bit so if you're only teaching asana you know modern postural yoga And your sessions, maybe you have a session that you talk about, you know, philosophy, maybe you dissect the eight limbs of yoga, maybe like switching it up. So people aren't pretty much getting the same thing every time they come on. Or maybe what I used to do in my yoga studio space is we used to have um, once a month, we had a vegan potluck. Um, So how do you transfer that kind of idea onto an online space that perhaps once a month, we have a potluck? Luck of topics, or we have a community space where we're all just coming together and chatting in community. But I think it might be time to start scaling back a little bit on the Zoom classes. And if you feel comfortable doing smaller group classes uh, in spaces that are that are that are properly spaced and to kind of get integrated back into the world and kind of get offline a little bit because we've spent the last 18 months staring at a screen. And I, I get it. I'm I'm over it. I'm over it too I'm over it too I just joined the gym I think two months ago (laughs) I'm like I just need something else
2: well I think also it's it's an opportunity to get creative and I think you know the online zoom classes I like to see that as kind of phase one and then two is about how how can you offer your students the opportunity to work with you on a deeper level inside like an online course or a program. But also it gives teachers the opportunity to tap into their creative genius and create something that's actually meaningful and impactful. What steps do you think teachers need to take if they're thinking of
1: creating an online course? What is it that you love to teach? Right. What is it that you love to teach? If you're a philosophy person and you love to break down the lessons of the Bhagavad Gita, maybe you teach a course in that, right? You, you know, you split it up over maybe four weeks. You have people read different sections of the book. You have a discussion. You have questions. You have like, you know like a coffee chat which is really kind of fun me i love figuring out how to break down asana so i would teach something like a you know how to create a, creatively or dynamically create accessible or, or equitable asana and i like this like four week window i feel like when you have things that are six weeks and eight weeks and ten weeks people lose interest. And I'm finding that right now with my 300-hour teacher training, which is like, I believe it's nine months long. And, you know, there's so many hours per month that they have to finish. And I find that because it's so long, everybody's really jazzed in the beginning and then it kind of trickles off at the end. But having shorter bite-sized classes especially if you're teaching courses online with content that is no longer than an hour because sitting on a zoom workshop for four hours sucks also adding um you know a couple of movement snacks and breaks in between opportunities to interact if you like opportunities to have um a little bit of recorded dialogue things like that i find that Find the thing that you love to teach, break it out into a four week session, figure out how you want to teach it, either pre record it or do it live and in person. And that's the best way to go. I think where my life and my opportunities to make a living as a yoga teacher changed for me was when I got out of the studio space. Because anywhere in the world, you're making anywhere from maybe $25, maybe up to $50 or $75 a class. And in order to maintain a A lifestyle or be able to pay your bills, you're going to have to teach an awful lot of asana classes and you're going to be rushing from point A to point B to point C and maybe teaching the same thing over and over and getting a little bit stale. But if you diversify your offerings, teach online courses, it's, you know, um, and you can go online and type into a search engine how to teach a course online and it will literally give you templates for how to put things together. But it has to be something that you're passionate about that translates Translates over a internet medium, right? So that people can see you, you can see them. Questions that can be asked because when we're learning as adults and we're learning online, it has to be collaborative and creative. So it has to be a back and forth, or people tune out and people get bored. And you can kind of see it when you pull up the Zoom grid and you're looking at people, like you know, I don't know, staring at people are trying to be subtle about staring at their phones right? They're, they're not so subtle, right? And so that's what we're kind of, you know, trying to break up is engaging your audience, asking questions, sharing stories, taking um, movement breaks, and really being passionate about what you're sharing.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned there about, you know, the comparison of teaching just in studios, and you have to teach a lot of classes to be able to pay the bills. And obviously, having looking at exploring opportunities online like how you can yeah. go on the drop-in zoom class and you know maybe host online workshops online courses have a membership all of these are um
1: you know create the most important thing that i think for teaching online is create an email list just so you know instagram tiktok any of those things can go away right tomorrow Right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if Instagram shut down tomorrow, I remember when the former regime was running the America. (laughs) They were talking about getting rid of TikTok, right? Because people were really able to organize on TikTok and and create some drama. So, you know, you never know when the powers that be are going to decide that this platform is no longer relevant and then you lose, you know, X amount of followers. Make sure you're building your email list because if people are interested in you, they will subscribe to that email list and they're the people that are interested in your work. So these are the people that you can ask what would you like to see from me? And I do this often when I'm thinking about creating a new course I will send an email out to my email list and go, you know what? Uh, I'm thinking about creating a new course. What is it that you would like me to share with you? Like what, you know, in my 35 years of teaching movement modality, what is it I can share with you to make your life easier, your work easier, or if you're a teacher, you know, make your teaching easier. And that's how I create my courses nine times out of 10. And when I used to, I don't know if I have them here. I don't, but when I used to teach live and in person, I would send a, I would take a stack of um index cards to my workshops, handing them out and say, what are you having trouble teaching? What are you having trouble with in your yoga practice? Whether it's your meditation or your spiritual practice or your asana, your modern postural asana practice. What are you having trouble? With? And have people write that down. And if I didn't get a chance to address it at the workshop, I would address it in a you know a three or four minute video or I build a course around
2: it. Amazing. I, I'm so glad that you mentioned your email list. And you you actually have a free mini course, don't you, for one of your online courses. So yeah. what does that, that funnel look like? And what does your kind of like launch process look like? Or do you, is it on Evergreen or do you do live launches? How has that
1: looked in the past for you? When we set up a... Um, of course, we do what we do, a lead magnet, right? So to get people interested, introduce you to what we're teaching, see what the teaching style is. So a lead magnet is usually, for me, anywhere from a 15 or 20-minute opportunity to teach something. So what I do is again is I crowdsource either my email list or my Instagram. And I say, "Hey, once again, what what is it that you want to learn from me? Why is it that you return to my channel? Why is it that you subscribe to my email? I want to learn more about twists in large body, larger bodies." Like, "Oh, great." So then I'll do a 20-minute introduction into how to teach a twist in a larger body. If you happen to be fluffy in the center of your body, how does it look to twist that? How does it look to fold forward with that with that if you're missing you know a limb or if you have a limb difference like how is it that you teach with a limb difference right and so those are the things that people might ask me and so i'll put together you know like three maybe 20 minute uh introductions to that and then i will launch that over the course between uh before the big launch so what will happen is we'll send out an email to our list we'll buy ads on instagram and facebook and now TikTok. And we'll invite people to come and check out the free mini course. And the free mini course is usually, um, for 20 minute. Um, teachable moments that people can get for free. So at least if you can't sign up for the full course, I am giving you some tools to take away with you because we all know that not everything is equitable and affordable. So I want to make sure I'm giving something to my list that I'm not always trying to just extract money from them, which is not the, the total purpose. The total purpose is to serve your community. So what are some ways that I can give away content or a taste of content uh, so that they can, you know, um maybe later down the line take a course with me I also offer incentives for people like you know um affiliate links and things like that if you sign up somebody you'll get a discount on your course that kind of thing to generate buzz and again what we are offering is something that helps yoga teachers be better at their craft and create a space that's more equitable and uh, diverse and inclusive so lots of people are currently interested in that narrative
2: that's great. And I, I, you touched on a few different marketing strategies there, obviously, with the content, the freebie, the ads. And, you know, none of us were born marketing experts and we certainly yeah. didn't come out of our YTT with a marketing degree. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there, there is a gap for a lot of, lots of teachers when they come out of their teacher training and now they're a business owner. You know, yeah. they have to wear all the hats. Um, what advice do you have for teachers to kind of fill that gap and to ensure that they're kind of equipped to actually grow
1: their community and show up online with confidence? There's a lot of free content out there. You know, A lot. I often think if I were going to university now that I would be absolutely brilliant because YouTube was not around. Like, I'm just going to be clear. When I went to university and now I sound like, you know, my mother, the internet was not a thing. And it wasn't. The internet came into being, I think, my second year of university. And so there are lots of great tools out there on the internet for free. So do your research. If you're figuring out how to, you know, present something, and figure out if I need more education or understanding in this. Do I need to consult somebody who is already, you know, who does like websites or, you know, does webinars or things like that? Do I need to consult somebody so I have some skill set? There's also lots of freelancers that you can – that you can hire. There's a place called upworks.com. So if you're not great at writing copy, you can hire somebody to write copy. You have to decide where your strengths are and stick with that. Like for me in my family, it works really well because my husband is a digital marketer and he's a dig- self-taught. Let me just be clear about this. Self-taught digital marketer because we're like, let's run a course. We can't afford anybody. Let's figure it out online. So the, the beauty thing about online is there are a lot of resources already out there. So do your research, right? Like I actually hate saying that do reading like that do your research shows is is now sounding cringy in the, in the real world, but go on there and see, okay, this is what I want to offer. What are some of the tools that are already available on the internet? Uh, We ended up taking lots of courses like Amy Porterfield has a course on how to launch a course. And these things might be um, investments that you need to make now, but the payout of these investments are great in the long run because, like you said, none of us come out of you know yoga teacher training with a marketing degree. My friend Amber Carnes is a is a digital marketer as well, and so it was really great to talk to her in our mini course, the Yoga for All uh, training mini course. We do offer some tips on how to get started online in our course, that, which is launching in a couple of weeks. Yoga for All uh, training, we have a whole section. On how to get started online so there's lots of you know there's lots of um, materials out there to help you get started, start researching it. Like, What do I want to do? How do I want to present it? Whose um, content do I like? Like, When I'm out there, whose stuff is like really cool? And I like their stuff and see who they work with. And there's lots of people. You might be surprised in the circle of people that you're teaching, how many people might be internet savvy that you can ask for help as well. So reach out to the people around you, ask your students, research online, and figure out how it is that how other people are doing what you want to do, you know, befriend them and ask them how it is that they've come to um create this platform and know that not everybody's gonna give you this content for free. So if you have to hire somebody and have a consultant, this is part of an investment in your business.
2: Oh my gosh, totally. You know, I think a lot of the a lot of the time we think we can do everything ourselves. And actually, if we really want to grow and we want to scale and we want to you know reach more people, we do need to invest in ourselves and and our and our knowledge um We also need to take risks you know <laughs> and trust ourselves in the process so what advice do you have for teachers on? sort of
1: stepping out of their
2: comfort zone and not being afraid to take risks?
1: <laughs> my philosophy in life is feel the fear and do it anyway. And uh, if I allowed my fear to rule my life, I certainly wouldn't have quit a very good job and not that I recommend doing that um, <laughs> to, uh, to pursue something that I thought had a lot more... Um, had a lot more value for me and really spoke to what I wanted to do in the world. I think being a casino auditor was like really not that interesting. And so I wanted to do something that I loved. And I say, I say to them, start small. So when I started teaching, I was teaching out of church halls and renting community centers. I didn't decide I was going to open a yoga studio and then hope for the best. So I started to scale and I scaled slowly up. So when I saw things were working, I invested more time and effort than that. When I saw things weren't working, I was like, well, that was interesting. What was the learning experience from there? This is not what I want to do and move on and, you know, have people around you that love what they do. So my digital marketer, um, Loves what he does, right? My husband. So I don't do any of that. My expertise is breaking down asana, connecting with my audience and figuring out that stuff. I'm not an expert in how to put this out in the world. So it is advantageous to hire somebody and it doesn't have to be expensive. Make sure you take good pictures that where people can see your face. So when you're putting your picture out there, you know it's really nice and lovely to have these really spiritual looking pictures if that's what you're looking for, but we wanna be relatable, right? So people need to see your face, need to see your expression, listen to you talk. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Because that's what's going to attract your family. That's going to attract the folks who are interested in what you're talking about. You know what I mean? So be be, and be open to suggestion. Like when your students say something to you about what they like and don't like about your classes, don't get all in your feelings. Just go, okay, how can I apply this to what I want to do next? What are some things I can learn about this? Everything, 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 everything is a learning experience.
2: Oh, without a doubt. I always say that treat your business like
1: a laboratory. You know, don't be afraid to like get try things. Out
2: yeah. Try
1: Feel the fear and do it anyway. And if things don't work out, it's a learning experience at the very least. It's not like I failed and throw yourself on the floor and give up. As Barack Obama would say, you you lift yourself off, you dust yourself off and you keep it moving because not everything's going to land and really pay attention to the things that do land and build from that.
2: Totally. So to finish up, what are you most excited about with the online space and, and the future of
1: yoga? I love that it's accessible, like you can really create something that is custom to a a, a person or a population that you want to serve uh, that the the world, the world is your yoga class, right? Like you don't necessarily only teach in your local community, which I think is beautiful as well, but you have the opportunity to expand your learning to everywhere. And there's lots of free online platforms that you can share your content on that can drive traffic back to your website, or back to your online membership site, if that's what you're looking for. I just, I love the idea of the internet, especially for yoga spaces, because you can see lots of different kinds of folks and lots of different kinds of bodies doing yoga. And then you can see yourself represented back to you, which can be really, really empowering. I love
2: that. Thank you so much, Diane, for being with me today. Before you go, just share anything that you've got coming up, any courses, and how we can practice with you
1: online. Yeah, I have my own uh, yoga studio based on my book. It's uh, yogaforeveryone.tv. And so I've been onboarding a few new teachers who have taught me who I love, whose classes I do locally. And so I've been sharing a lot of that. And we are running our next session of the yoga for all training. So you can go to yoga for all training.com. And this is now a seven week course that gives you 35 hours of continuing education credits in, um, creating, uh, accessible, diverse and inclusive and equitable classes, how to teach online, how to break Asana down, how to market yourself, how to create a course. We really spent a lot of time, um, focusing on the things that you don't learn in a 200 hour teacher training that you kind of need in order to be successful at your craft. So we put together this training, we've been running it for seven years, we've had 1500 students go through it. And it's something that stays with you forever. These are tools that can make you better at what you do and to help you connect with your audience and your students
2: amazing thank you so much for everything and all your wisdom that you shared with us thank you so much
1: thank you so much (laughs) kelly it's been lovely have a great week
0: hey yoga teacher now is the time to make a much bigger impact in the world You're listening to The Yogipreneur, a podcast for entrepreneurial yoga teachers who want to stop the hustle and overwhelm and instead create more income, freedom, and success. I'm your host, Kelly McHugh, founder of Digital Yoga Academy, and I'm sharing business and marketing strategies to grow your community in a way that makes it easy to take action today. I believe that you, have a unique message to share that your people need to hear so let's get to it